the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Wednesday, June 7th. Jumping early on our second pod of the week, um, rightfully so. This was supposed to be a fairly short and sweet, fun episode where Cousin Dan and I dive into NFL divisions and the current landscape and the current odds and sort of jump ahead early with some ideas, brainstorming, uh, and penciled in bets for who we think might have value in terms of NFL division winners for the 2023 season. Uh, We did it. It's definitely at the back end of the show right now, but um, (laughs) this is going to be a longer show. There's no question about it because the game of the entire sport of golf broke yesterday and Jacob deGrom's right arm rebroke yesterday. So we're going to focus on those two things here off the top, at least with the information that we know, which is limited uh, in terms of the golf, but certainly something we want to speak to at least a little bit here. And, uh, and then we'll get to cousin Dan and have a little fun with future NFL divisional bets and, and really uh, a larger conversation about the roster construction, um, the windows of contention for certain teams, uh, and maybe even some TBD transactions that could change that landscape, which is why we're jumping on that conversation June 7th and not August 7th, because uh, again, trying to find some value. And I think Dan did a really good job of making some bullet point notes that can be useful with your gambling addictions, give or take up or down. All right. Live golf. Uh, I try to stick away from analysis here, but I got to say this one. What did we think was going to (laughs) happen? You know, I'm not sure I asked that question enough. I'm not sure the the sports landscape has asked that question enough. Did we think did we think that Liv was going to just fold? Did we think that the PGA Tour was going to buy Liv out at some point in time? Uh, the the comparisons and look, I'm here for all the all the memes and all the the comparisons to. Hollywood and TV and whatever you want to say. I thought the Michael Scott paper company comparison was fun, except for this part of it, right? Like the Michael Scott paper company, if you're an office fan, was acquired by Dunder Mifflin because they thought that company was worth more than it was, which was worth negative money. The PGA Tour was never going to acquire Live Golf for financial purposes because Live Golf had an absolute bottomless pit of money. So that's why this is being labeled the merger and not the acquisition. And that's why there's so much legalese built into this right now saying, this is just the coming together of golf. When we actually know what's happening here. All right. This is, this is the money trickling up is what this is. All right. Live golf was created to change golf. You can say what it's what, you know, you can have your angles, but that's what this was. There was a lack of leadership in the PGA Tour and a lack of objective appreciation. It had, it had flat out plat- plateaued. Um, if you go to spottrek.com slash PGA and spend any kind of time going backwards on payouts for any of the significant tournaments, non-majors, but quite frankly, the majors as well, which I know stand alone. But just take your favorite PGA Tour event and go back eight to 10 years and look at the top three payouts. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. 
Okay. This is like having somebody that you've hired that you appreciate and you like, and is doing well with your company is providing you production value, etc., and giving them one to 2% raises every year and nothing more. That's what this has been. The PGA has been living off a minimalist approach, a rookie wage scale, essentially, okay, for a long time. And the Phil Mickelsons of the world said, enough is enough, you know, and we're not going to be able to change the mindset of the PGA while within the PGA. So we're going to do our own thing. Something that, you know, so many leagues have threatened over the years, right? Kyrie Irving threatened it with the NBA owning the bubble, et cetera. We, see, we hear quite a bit about this overthrown mutiny kind of thing. Well, they did it. They did it. And you can't do that with a limited amount of financial funds. You can't just break off and say, we're going to take down Goliath with a couple of million dollars in our back pocket. Now, where they went for the money is absolutely arguable, debatable, discussable. I'm not going to do it here. I think you all know where I stand on that. But they went to the bottomless pit of money and said, this is how we're going to take down Goliath. And the only way we can look at yesterday's announcement is that it was successful. That's it. I mean, (laughs) this was the money, a lot of money, an endless amount of money being infused into golf in the live tour, which was not successful from a television approach, from a streaming approach, from a tournament approach. I think a lot of things went wrong. Of course, this thing's brand new and got thrown together in an hour and a half. But they took some significant golfers, many of whom have competed in and contested at the top of the biggest golf events and majors in the world over the past 18 months. And they stuck it out long enough to say, all right, the PGA has to do something here. And clearly an offer was made to say, are we ready to make this happen? Because it's not good for any of us just to stay on this thwarted path, these forks in the road. If we all just come together and utilize this endless pile of money, the entire sport of golf can change for forever. That's what happened yesterday. Of course, this is about the money. And we've heard millions of people, myself included, say that over and over that all the sports operate this way. Their business is first and entertainment second. Well, that's what we have here now. The PGA had the entertainment value. Live Golf had the money. Now those two things can live together and change will happen. What kind of changes are going to happen? Every single piece I read and listen to says, we have absolutely no idea. And by the way, that's exactly what the PGA is saying as well. In fact, they are not being shy about basically saying an offer was made to us and we said yes in principle, and we have absolutely no framework for how this thing is going to work. Okay. Now they're saying they are answering some of the questions with hopeful commentary, right? Like, What's going to happen to the live golfers in terms of coming back to this single entity? And the answer sounds like, now this is the PGA commissioner, Jay Monahan saying this, so maybe he's, you know, biased in his, in in the way that he's phrasing things, but it sounds like the PGA is still going to be the majority entity. I'm not sure it's going to be called the PGA. Although from a brand standpoint, it probably makes sense to keep that. But for now, all the legal documents say literally NUCO, 
N-E-W-C-O. That's what this new company, this new golf company is called. They have absolutely no idea, so they call it NUCO. But I believe the PGA is going to remain the majority you know, entity that everybody will then trickle under. So what happens to Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and Harold Varner Jr. when the schedule comes out next year and they have to reinstate themselves to this entity if they do at all? To me, that was interesting, that the conversation about those players having to come back is still TBD. If, if the merger, a merger, then they're all under the same umbrella. So I'm not sure that that conversation has legs, but the PGA commissioner is still saying at this point, those players will have to reapply for membership to something. <laughs> okay. What happens to all that money that they were guaranteed? Okay. Is that going to remain with them? Or is that now going to be merged under this umbrella and dispersed? That was not that that statement right there was not punched down. In fact, it was said that's one of the conversations we're going to have with our board of directors as we push to finalize this merger. Can you imagine Dustin Johnson and his five hundred million dollars being taken away and given to the entity? I don't think that's going to happen. All right. I also believe that this. PIF investment firm from the Saudi side of things has plenty of money to be able to disperse the guarantees that they've already rewarded or at least put on books contractually and then also satisfy the, the demands of this merger, which might include balloon payments for all of the PGA players currently under membership. I, I, don't, under, I don't know how you would just give Rory McIlroy money and not the 79th you know, ranked player in the world. So there's a hell of a lot to iron out here, but it does sound like this will be one entity that the PIF has exclusive backing rights. In other words, another company can't come in, right? Bill Gates can't come in now and say, I want to buy in 40% of this new golf, okay? He can offer it, but the PIF has first refusal rights. The Saudis have first refusal rights with any other investor that might want to do business alongside of them. Good luck on that, by the way. But that's the language. That is the one statement that has been thrown across pretty uh, succinctly now. That we're in this thing as the majority in terms of the financial backing. And anyone else who wants to get on board has to go through us first. That's crazy. But that's the reality of this. So, uh, yes, this Saudi investment firm just bought the, the sport of golf. Uh, I was being sort of flipping with that yesterday on Twitter. Uh, that's exactly what happened here. Uh, golf caved from both sides, right? Both of the both of the roads and the roads in the fork have converged under one financial backing, which is this PIF investment fund. So it's it's where we are. And if you're a golf fan. There's going to be a take it or leave it scenario for you. There's no question about it uh, in terms of following this sport from a professional standpoint going forward. I don't know how much this sport can change from a gameplay standpoint, 
from a scheduling standpoint, but all of that's on the table now. We're talking about a complete square one start over, which if you just take the Saudi Arabia side out of it, that's pretty freaking fun. That's pretty interesting. Could you imagine if the sport of baseball just said one day, all right, we're just going to start over. You know, instead of these nickel and dime changes, robot umps here and, you know, run around second base there and the, the pitch clock and et cetera, right? In, in term, instead of all these little mini inventions, if they simply just said, it's 2025, it's time to start this thing over from scratch. Okay. Nine innings is too long. Let's go back to seven, whatever it's going to be. Okay. Cause I think golf's going to do that. I think there's a world where Thursday is eliminated from golf and Friday, Saturday, Sunday drives the entire sport from here out. I think that that was, I mean, Liv took Sundays out, but it's possible, right? It's possible that that's part of it, that the brand new professional golf landscape is 54 holes and, uh, that the minimum pot is 250,000 and the maximum payouts are 10 million per, per round. And it, all of that's on the table now, right? Especially from a financial standpoint is how, of how this could look, uh, sponsorships, how, how many of those are going to stick around for what's, what's ahead? How many of these golf courses, you know, with, with ripe traditions and to some degree, singular old school values, right? I, I think in a lot of these areas, are going to be on board with all of this whenever this next iteration comes together. And it's going to take some time, let's be honest about what's happening here. But the money's the money. And there's a million conversations to have about it. And certainly as more information comes out, we will have those conversations. But I'm, I'm sort of stuck and focused in a positive way on golf literally offering itself an opportunity to change completely, completely. Whatever anybody thinks is crappy about this sport from a professional standpoint, from a television standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint, it, it can now be on the table. You can, you can absolutely start this sport over at that level. Um, and really, if you do it right, because of the money that exists now, really make this thing must-see TV with technology and streaming and whatever else it, you know, might get involved at this point if the entities that drive those things are on board. And that's, that's the craziest part is that they might, they might now have the money to do whatever the hell they want and they may not have the relationships available to do it anymore. So, uh, we will see, we'll see how long Jay Monahan lasts in this role after completely gorging his entire contract base. And by the way, that's a point that has to be made. The PGA golf members, are not employees. They are contractors. There's not a union, a PGA players union that may be coming. <laughs> okay. Certainly the pros and cons with that, but, um, you certainly won't see major league baseball do this to its MLBPA overnight without telling them, you know, because the unions exist. So I would imagine that the Rory's of the world and, and certainly some of the more intelligent players on that tour right now have already used that word quite a bit unionizing. And we'll see if that's the next big story to drop on one of these networks, but uh, a wild, wild turn of events from, you know, literally zero to a hundred on this conversation. And now it leaves us with a lot of thoughts and not much substance. So again, as more comes out, we'll get to it. But the, uh, the reality is this 
for the rest of 2023, it's going to look exactly like it does now. The PGA is going to exist. Live Golf is going to exist. Both are going to run their current schedules out with their current memberships. After, uh, after that, who knows? You know, will they, will they exist in 2024 or will next year be like a rebuilding year as they figure this crap out? I can't imagine this is going to be a three month thing. You know, maybe they phase it and they say, this is how we're going to operate for now. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll maneuver as we need to. I don't think that's the right approach. Again, you're back to the drawing board here with a pile of money. So what should result in a bunch of years now from now is a really awesome sport to watch if you're willing to give it that. But, you know, there's a lot of ways this could go wrong. So phenomenally surprising announcement, um, phenomenally questionable decision by a lot of parties here and uh, must see TV, must see Twitter, right? I guess, which is where freaking all the golfers found out about this yesterday to, uh, to stick with this story. And we certainly will as the, uh, as the news continues to roll out on it. Okay. Um, a bittersweet conversation here about Jacob deGrom. I, I am absolutely not going to be the guy that said, I, I told you this was coming, but um, as a Mets fan and having watched this kid come in late to the league and absolutely take it over in Max Scherzer fashion, if Steve Cohen wasn't going to pay this guy money, or at least come close to what the Texas Rangers had offered him. There had to be a lot of people in his ear saying, you cannot do this. We love that guy. We will be forever indebted to that guy, but that arm is not going to hold up. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that a Steve Cohen tried to pay him because of who he is and what he meant to that franchise in terms of the Mets and B more than a, more than three people. <laughs> right? Looked him in the eyes, Steve Cohen, and said, do not do this. This is absolutely the worst investment you can make. And I absolutely hate that two months later, you know, April, May, and now early June, we're already here with the Grom's arm, but it was just so inevitable. It was so inevitable that that elbow wasn't going to hold up for whatever reason. Uh, the throwing motion, the fact that he started ramping up to hundred miles an hour, got every other pitch for three, four years. It was just not sustainable. It was Steven Strasburg-esque, and that's another story, right? That the guy's never going to pitch again. At least he got his World Series and was a factor and forever has that attached to Washington for his future and his career. You know, DeGrom never got there. It never got to the finish line with that crew of DeGrom and Syndergaard and Matt Harvey, et cetera. So it's just a lot of what ifs. And that's probably why it was so tempting to bring this guy back. But six starts in, you know, five and a half starts in, 30 innings pitched. The Texas Rangers already, uh, the, their greatest fears are already here. And, and this is what it looks like financially. And again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse by any regards. This is a, a terrible day for baseball. Whenever a superstar like this goes down, even if we anticipated this kind of thing happening at some point in time, this is bad for the game. All right, you want your horses out there running the race. Uh, but this is what it looks like. DeGrom received his first uh, veteran extension in 2019. They bought out his, his final year of arbitration in New York and handed him a five-year contract. He made $12 million that first year, and he made 32 starts. It's the last time 
he played the full boat. All right. I guess we can call 2020's 12 starts with the shortened season a, a mostly full boat. All right. There was a miss or two there with a tweak. Uh, 15 starts in 2021, 11 starts in 2022, and six starts in 2023. I ran the salaries and I ran a, a dollar per game started percentage. In 2019, the first year of that extension, the Mets paid $375,000 per start. That's obviously phenomenal value. He won the Cy Young and he was the MVP. <laughs> okay. All right. In 2020, they paid $756 by about $750,000 per start in the shortened season. Phenomenal value. He was third in Cy Young voting. Not his best season in 2021, but they paid $1.3 million per start for 15 starts. Should have been half of that if he, if he played the full season. Same deal in 2022, $1.6 million per 11 starts. Should have been half of that, maybe even a third of that. The Rangers have now paid $5 million per start this year. Six starts, $30 million cash for 2023. Obviously not ideal. Obviously not what they were hoping for. The worst part is, though, that he's going to miss the entire 2024 season now to recover from this thing, and he's owed $40 million fully guaranteed. Sure, there may be insurance built into this, so I'm not crying for the Rangers here. Also, they knew what they were getting into. But that's the reality of this right now. All right, this was the cheap year. It was 30 this year, then it was 40, 40, 38, and 37. There's language in the contract that says if he has Tommy John surgery at any point in time, 2028 becomes a club option. If he, ha if he didn't have surgery, there was a chance he was going to have that guaranteed at, at age 40. Well, we're two months in and it's already a, a club option. So uh, we can lop off the sixth year of this contract pretty darn quickly, unfortunately speaking. But you know, for all intents, there's $170 million left in this contract, fully guaranteed with a full node trade clause through, through 2027. So A, he's going to have this surgery. He's going to miss the rest of this year. I assume they're going to make him miss the entire 2024 season and try to get back at age 37 in 2025 when he's due 40 million. And this team should still be pretty damn good. This is a really, really up and coming team. I mean, right there, ready for the taking this year. And obviously not having this guy there at any point in time is going to hurt them now down the stretch to the point of where they're going to have to double down, right? They're going to pay Jacob DeGrom 30 million this year and acquire somebody at the deadline at, what, three to four million for the remainder of the year just to fill his role. Uh, that's going to be a reality here, if not sooner, at, at more cost to them. And they're going to sign somebody next offseason at some sort of salary, right? Maybe eight to 15 million per year that fills Jacob DeGrom's roster spot, even though they're paying DeGrom 40 million next year. So it's a, it's a double down situation for the Rangers because they are in. I mean, they are in division contention. I'm not sure they're World Series contenders just yet, but they're making that turn for the home stretch. And uh, this is a blow, but it was anticipated, unfortunately. Anybody who followed this guy knows that it's just an all-in scenario for him. There's no dial in the back. There's no, you know, it's not that this guy was unhealthy. It's not that the guy did anything wrong, but the style in which he pitched and or developed into 
really over four years of, uh, of sort of finding his legs in this league, which wasn't sustainable. So, uh, you know, the five-year contract that he signed, it was always a wow. You know, when you're talking 37 million a year, that's an extra wow. And when you're talking that they backloaded it, that's probably even a bigger wow to me because I don't know why you wouldn't just hope you get the best year out of him this year, pay him the cash, and then let things trickle down from there. But they didn't. They did everything possible to make sure the Mets didn't match this offer. The Mets did not match this offer. And now it's the Rangers' problem to deal with. So super unfortunate situation. I expect he'll be back at some point over the next 18 to 24 months. And uh, we'll see if he can resurrect any kind of value on this contract and factor into what should be a really strong Texas Rangers roster for the next three to four years based on what they look like right now and some of these massive free agent contracts that they've signed to develop this window of contention. All right, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Before I get to Cousin Dan, uh, I've been cranking out NFL pieces on SpotTrack.com, as you might have seen. Um, there's about six new pieces between my three NFL pieces and Keith Smith's three NBA pieces. And uh, we actually synced up on one of those ideas. So Keith Smith launched a 2020 NBA draft class rookie scale extension piece. He's done this a bunch of years for us now. What he did is he took the entire first round from 2020 in the NBA draft and he assessed how he thinks extensions for those players, which are coming due this fall, will go. So if he says, yes, this player should get extended, he's given you his prediction in terms of what that looks like. So Patrick Williams, five years, hundred million, for instance, if it's no, there's a no and a why. Uh, and if it's not possible, he tells you why that's, that's there as well. I did the exact same conversation with the NFL 2020 first round class, uh, because all of those players are now extension eligible. And none of those players have yet signed a contract outside of Jordan Love, if you want to call it that. And I explained that in the piece. So there's a 2020 NBA first round extension piece and a 2020 NFL first round extension piece, both live on SpotTrack.com. Elsewhere in the NFL, I did a piece on question mark contracts, as I mentioned last episode. Uh, still pretty valid. Maybe a couple of those coming to, uh, to a head here in the next couple of days. And I just launched... Edition one, position one from our NFL movement series. I teased this in the last show. Um, I've given you kind of a journal of every team's quarterback transaction list from March 13th to today. All right. Literally everyone, every reserve signing, every UDFA signing, every trade, every restructure, every release with cap implications for almost all of those things. And, uh, and then I've prefaced it with sort of a 2023 off-season recap of what the quarterback position was like at this moment in time. And the thinking is, we'll be able to come back to these on an annual basis and say, all right, this is what happened in 2023, right? Aaron Rodgers was traded. Jordan Love was extended. Lamar Jackson went through hell, but got his, got his historic contract extension. There may be five legitimate, maybe seven legitimate contract extensions this off-season alone. The market went from 50 million to 52 million ish. The guarantees are approaching 200 million. I'm just sort of journaling all the things, financially speaking or transactionally speaking, that have happened at the quarterback position, team by team, and as a whole for the league in this one piece. I'm going to do running backs next and wide receivers after that and tight ends after that. And I'll try to keep going as much as possible. But this is going to be an annual thing. 
A, it's good for me to go back and understand what teams did so that I can ramp up and understand where those teams might live. If you're a fantasy perspective player and you're thinking about your dynasty drafts and things like that right now, UDFAs that hit the roster as maybe a possible QB3, you, you know, QB2s that have a chance to be QB1s, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which teams have holes that might need to get filled right now when, in the coming months here as we head toward training camp? All those things exist when you can see the whole league in one perspective like this from a quarterback position. So uh, I hope this is interesting to more people than just me, but if not, it's good for me anyway. I'm going to make this an annual thing, like I said, and I'm going to do running backs probably by the end of the week. So uh, Wednesday, June 7th, quarterbacks are now live. Uh, I'll have the movement piece on running backs by Friday, June 9th for you. And we'll uh, continue on with that path from there. So bunch to read on spotrate.com from the NBA and the NFL. Let's talk a little bit more about the NFL and division races and how you should bet them with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, it seems early for this, but early is the right approach when you're putting your well, hard, hard earned money down on something, right? This is a gambling conversation about the 2023 NFL season. We're going to run through the divisions. Um, everyone's got its little wrinkle right now. There's maybe a, an unanswered question, uh, maybe a long shot in each of these divisions to discuss. Um, but for the most part, the NFL has gotten more difficult to bet on. Is that is that a fair opening statement here because of just... The education process, I think Vegas has really rounded into form on a lot of this stuff. Not that they didn't have the advantage out of the gate, but it seems like this sport specifically has really tightened up. For sure. And I think a lot of that um, has to do with the quarterback position being yeah. such a, um, a large part of a team's success or lack thereof. So, um, and what I'm, I guess I mean by that is, you know, a, a pretty easy division favorite um, can um, things can go off the rails pretty easily if they lose that quarterback early or mm -hmm. for a substantial amount of time. So um, otherwise, though, you know, the long shots and I feel like the NFL long shots are long shots for a reason in most cases. <laughs> and besides that, um, the you know, the the teams more favored to win divisions are it's kind of a tighter pack. So, um, yeah, I like that approach. About. Let's. We're going to go division by division quickly here, but let's start with the long shots. We're using DraftKings Sportsbook here uh, for reference uh, and maybe to throw a few dollars down at the end of this. But the, the biggest long shot in football right now is the Arizona Cardinals to win the NFC West. I, I've done an entire podcast on them. So obviously I agree that there are monumental question marks on that roster. Let's start with the quarterback, even if he's playing. And I don't think he's playing right now. Um, and I'm not even sure they're done trading. I just did a piece on 2020 first round extensions. And when I got to Isaiah Simmons, I not only did I not make him an extension candidate, he's, he's a top trade candidate for this summer. I, I don't think, I don't think Arizona's done yet. So um, do you agree with them as at least the biggest question mark team in football right now? Well, yeah, for sure. Cause so much is tied to Kyler. And when he actually comes back, if he misses a good chunk of the year or is, um, you know, quite a bit under what we've seen him, how he, how we've seen him perform in the past, um, yeah. then that team is definitely going to struggle. Um, otherwise, if he comes back sooner or kind of exceeds expectations on the performance side of things, um, that team could really surprise some people. So there, there's a lot of uh, a variance in, in terms of where they, you know, their range of outcomes in this. Yeah, if I, if I have to play devil's advocate, and I don't know if I can with this team because there's such a mishmash and new coaching staff, new GM, there's just too much new right now. They do have Colt McCoy, 
and I know he's not going to the Hall of Fame, but there are a lot worse QB2 situations in the NFL right now. And by the way, I think to your first point here, that's got to be a huge part of these numbers, these odds, right? Is sustainability over 17 weeks. Um, we're going to talk about the lack of sustainability that might happen if they, if a QB1 goes down. But I think there are worse QB2s in the league than Colt McCoy. So if anybody's going to you know, pull together six wing wins out of the first 10 weeks and, and we not see it coming, it's to me, it's going to be something like that. Uh, an able-bodied, experienced quarterback who just kind of case Keenum's this thing to death. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I I agree with that. Um, if we're kind of looking at this like uh, a market, um, mm-hmm. I would assume that that um, num the twenty-five to one odds for the Cardinals is a little bit. Um, let's let's actually run this half. division. Let's run this division. The 49ers are, are the minus 150 favorites. It's one of the it's one of the worst odds you can have right now in, in the entire NFL. I think only Kansas City and tied with Jacksonville right now is a worse division win odd. Do you agree with that? We, we, we spent the entire first eight minutes of this conversation talking about how important the quarterback is to not only the team, obviously, but to these odds, to how this all works from a numer- numerical standpoint. Do we have any freaking clue who's going to be the quarterback for the 49ers? Um, I don't think with certainty I can speculate. I really think they start with Trey Lance and have Brock Purdy as a fallback. But I think they, they, if he's healthy and things go according to plan in the offseason, I think they at least have to see what they have there. Um, so from that perspective, I think I am, I think I have a little bit of an idea, but. In all honesty, no. If I could bet Sam Darnold is the week one starter, I would do it. I would do it. Interesting. I know. I feel like it's that up in the air right now. And it's not even performance. It's just, do they want to throw Trey Lance out there if he's not fully 100%? It feels like some of the offseason stuff has been going through the motions. I don't know where it stands. They've also proven it doesn't really matter who plays quarterback for them. They're going to win 10 to 12 games. So uh, we've been down that path with them before. But if we're talking Arizona just for a second, because I like to take the best odds available and see if we can make some sense out of them. And 25 to one is easily by, by a million, the best odds you can have here. Let's say the San Francisco quarterback situation becomes an absolute disaster. Cause it could, cause Brock Purdy could not be Brock Purdy this year. Trey Lance could be re-injured quickly and Sam Darnold could just be Sam Darnold. And all of a sudden that team is running everything through Christian McCaffrey and trying to, you know, scrape out nine wins, even though they're loaded across the board. Let's say Geno Smith reverts back to Geno Smith. And let's say Matthew Stafford isn't fully healthy. And the Rams have already gutted a ton of that roster, including the offensive line. There's at least a world where all four of these teams are mashed together in the middle of this season competing for, you know, one game back or something like that. And Arizona isn't six games back like most of us think could be the case, right? There's a there's a world where that's a reality. Right, right. You're I, I think we're just trying to to talk about the other side. Uh, a world where the Niners don't run away with the division right. probably means the Cardinals have more wins. The Rams ha- might have uh, a couple mm-hmm. more wins than people think. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yep. Nobody's saying Super Bowl here, by the way. We're only talking about the 17-week regular season, which is really a whole different animal now versus the postseason and what we, and what we actually think about a team. Um, you know, there are there are maybe three divisions here where... 
I think a team can win the division, but have absolutely zero chance to win a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just not the right year for them. They're going to stumble into something. And by the way, that stumbling in is exactly why we're trying to bet this in June. Right? That's, that's where you make your money when you, when you figure out a, a situation that could go terribly wrong and, and work in your financial favor. All right. Um, would you touch, would you put real money on any of these non Niners teams this year to win the division? Um, in, in a vacuum, no, but no. And no. I think I, I want to just say that as we're talking about this as, you know, if you're, if you're putting real money on the line June in the early June on division winners, you're probably looking at lo- longer shots rather than keeping your money tied up for six That's months right. um, on like a two to one division winner. So like, let's separate that and just talk about this, like, um, in, yeah. You know, yeah, in a more sure. simplistic way. Yeah, no, I am not. Um, I mean, could there's you... no world, Dan, where, where we're all underselling the Rams right now and Sean well, McVay and Matthew Stafford, because that's, you know, you're almost getting eight to one on that right now. Right, for sure. So I think that offense probably outperforms expectations. People are mm-hmm. probably too down on the offensive side of things there. Defense is seemingly yeah, in pretty rough shape, it. so they got might it. get into some. So. <laughs> I just don't see a realistic path. Like things would really, they'd be really threading a needle. Things would really have to kind of all parlay together for them to sneak past the Niners and the Seahawks, in my opinion. Um, So that, that, that would be my favorite on the board. If you're just like looking at somebody with a little bit longer odds, but um, otherwise like the two to one odds on the Seahawks, I just don't feel confident enough there, but it is interesting. It is interesting. I, I will say that that team, um, kind of brought it back and added some some nice pieces. I I, I don't hate it, but, I, but I, I would buy money. If I'm in on Seattle, money. I'm waiting for them to lose the opening game. For exactly, and, th- and those numbers jump to four to one, and then I nail it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> the, the Mets. I mean the Mets, right? Like Bingo. when they were two to one, and then they they have a they have a slow start. That's exactly what what my previous point was. Was right now I don't really want to buy uh, you know purchase the Seahawks at two to one, but I mean yeah. it talk to me you know in a couple months <laughs> okay we're gonna pencil the rams in as a maybe um let's go to the afc west we'll stay out west kc is the overall favorite to win the division in the nfl it's minus 165 um the chargers are gonna chargers we think the broncos are gonna look different this year that's plus 550 uh that should probably be worse odds so vegas is is kind of surplusing that a little bit because of Sean Payton, et cetera, et cetera. And the Raiders are a plus 1100 tied for the second worst odds to win the division in all of football. Your thoughts. Um, I mean, I'm going to probably be suckered into betting on the chargers again this year. Like I have the last several years. Um, I still think there's like an elite ceiling to that team in a multitude of ways, offensive, defensive, um, and I don't want to doubt Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, but again, last year I was a little bit skeptical going in. Did they have enough? They made it. They obviously made it happen. It seems like they're going to kind of try and do that again this year, right? Yeah. Like, did, am I missing? Did they add really any impact players? Um, they brought like back basically all of the running backs, uh, and they bought they brought in an absolute boatload of UDFA wide receivers. Uh, well, so they're going to try to nickel and dime this thing to the to the nth degree. 
and uh, and really see if they can make this work. It's it's just sort of how they operate right now. And uh, and you know we saw that with Brady for all those years in New England, right? It's just give me guys, give me guys who know what the hell they're doing out there. They don't have to be five star athletes, and I'm going to make it work as long as you know we're on the same page. So I I don't know why it wouldn't be successful. I I just you know round two of this should look the same. They replaced Orlando Brown Jr. with Jermon Taylor. Uh, they brought in Donovan Smith, who should be able to give them at least half a season at left tackle. I think they did enough. I, th- I think they're well-rounded enough to to get to the finish line. The the conversation with a team like the Chiefs, um, you know, we've talked about this before with like LeBron and the and the NBA is, are they going to be motivated for 17 weeks, purposefully? You know what I mean? Are they going to keep the gas pedal down a hundred percent? Is winning the division of the utmost importance to them, or is it about health? Is it about getting to, through the marathon? Is it about peaking at the right time? All those things that we know matter when it comes postseason time. So, is there a chance that somebody sneaks in on this? And is that team Denver possibly, who has given it Kansas could, City problems in the regular season? It could be that. I guess that is my uh, overarching point here: is that I think pound for pound the rosters, uh, the the Chargers and the Broncos roster, you could argue might be better mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, that but I mean Patrick Mahomes trumps all in this case, so um, I'm not doubting them. But we're just kind of trying to pick nits if there is a you know a crack in that division for somebody to sneak in. Who could it be? I think the Chargers or the Broncos could. You know, they're they're. Let's just assume that that was by far the worst we see Russell Wilson um, last year and that he rebounds quite a bit. Sean Payton helps things. We know the offensive atmosphere is pretty favorable. They have nice pieces. Um, So, yeah, I I could, you know, talk myself into it in a, you know, a specific scenario where um, they're at least much more improved. And if they carve out a win or two more than we think, maybe that eats out of the Chiefs total. Um, maybe the Chargers, you know, we just see them come out on the wrong side of injury um, mm-hmm. variants every single year. Maybe that rebounds a little bit for them. Um, you know, Herbert has a bit, of, not that he was terrible last year. I just think people really thought he took a, a step into the really elite tier of quarterbacks uh, prior to last year. Um, maybe he kind of goes back to that and puts it all together and they uh, maybe are the division winners. So yeah, there's definitely paths there. I don't think it's likely I, again, Andy Reed, Patrick Mahomes, I, mm-hmm. I do believe in them, but um, I could, I could see a path. Okay. The NFC South always one of the dumpster fire divisions in terms of the on play performance. And really from a gambling perspective, it's not really a great long shot value there. I mean, the, the Buccaneers at plus seven hundred right now are are your are your long shot divisional team. I don't know. Does it matter who's playing quarterback for that team right now? You know, is there enough juice to to get any kind of eight to nine to ten ten win season out of that roster? I'm not positive. Uh, the Falcons are going to be a sexy pick, but at plus two fifty, it seems like the money's already in on that team. And yeah, that's Carolina, a good point. I, yeah, and I, with I'm Carolina. No, at Carolina plus 380, it's the same conversation. So is it is this just too late, too far gone to even touch this division for any kind of odds, Dan? Yeah, I was gonna say the the Falcons were probably a bet pre-draft a good bet pre-draft where yeah. like they were sort of missing that piece. Um I, I think they were like three or four to one at that point. Um and odds have went up since. The Panthers number surprises me. I mean they yeah. 
don't seem particularly close to me, but is this just like a bet on that whole division being a, a dumpster fire and um, up in the air for grabs? So I, I'm not sure, but I don't – I mean, it's a terrible division. But, yeah, the Bucks. <laughs> I, I don't know even where to go, but I agree with you. The Falcons are the intriguing pick there. I just don't like where it is at currently um, to be putting money on it. So This is one of four divisions where every single team is plus odds right now. So there's at least enough variance or, or maybe uh, you know lack of parity to understand that anybody could technically win this division. Um, if you think the Saints are going to run with away with this, it's plus 115 right now. I don't think there's a chance the Saints run away with this division. Do you? No, and the money's probably going. Referencing your earlier point, is this just uh, you know a callback to the core, the best quarterback in that division? Probably, like yeah. I mean. Derek Carr? Is that what you're saying? Derek Carr? Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, is, <laughs> <laughs> is it any of these other guys? I I'm not know. laughing at Derek Carr, but I, th- I know there are people out there that heard that and laughed out loud. So um, I'm just kind of going with the flow here. Um, I get it. I, I totally get it. I, is there a world where Bryce Young is, is immediately the best quarterback in this division by week five? Sure. But is that roster ready to win a division? I don't know. They, they were damn close last year, if you remember. They, they had a they had a moment there about week 12 or 13 where it was there for them. And uh, even after the McCaffrey trade and, and I, you know, they did bring in Miles Sanders. There's a, some defensive additions from the draft. I, I, it, it's conceivable. But to me, and you've said it already at plus 380, uh, somebody's already in on this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're going to have to wait for, I think, these teams to beat themselves up a little bit for the first half of this regular season and then pounce on the division when somebody's sitting there that you know could make a run like they did last year. Let's say Carolina's plus 800 come Halloween or something like that. That's when you jump on it and hope that they can right the ship. Uh, AFC South, not much better. Kind of the exact same conversation with the, with the exception of Jacksonville being a minus 150 favorite, the, uh, the second best favorite odds in all of football. Do you agree with that? <clears throat> not really no i are you thinking regression here a little bit with that roster dan i mean i still like them overall but yeah i'm just like in fantasy and in the betting yeah. world i'm i'm very like i it, i have a very pendulum approach and i think the pendulum swung forward on the jags last year i was in on them last year at nine to one um now this and there's year, a lot to that. How many teams miss the playoffs after making it last year? It's it's a real thing in the NFL. It happens. So if this is well, one of those teams, I wouldn't I wouldn't even shake an eye at it. Well, and part of these markets, I mean, Vegas is Vegas. They're very intelligent, but part of these markets is public perception, and everybody is hammering the Titans. Everyone yeah. thinks the Colts suck. Everyone, like obviously the the Texans are really not in contention to win a division, in my opinion. So yeah, it's pretty easy to just like pick the, the Jags. But if you really dig deeper, um, are the Titans situation that uh, is that situation vastly different from last year? Is the Colts situation vastly different from last year? Yeah. I, I could argue that maybe they're both in better positions than they were in 2022. And there, the Titans were the the clear division favorite last year. The Colts were right behind them. So, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that it's th- there's this wide of a gap. Um, I still, again, like the Jags is a favorite. I, I'm not going against that. I just think if you're betting, I would be all over the Colts or the Titans. Um, just betting on um things kind of you know 
the 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 so-called pendulum swinging back towards those two teams this year. <clears throat> the Titans are almost exactly the same team they were last year, except they're healthier. And they swapped out uh, an aging left tackle and Taylor Lewan for Andre Dillard, who, you know, excelled for the Eagles the last couple of seasons. So I, you can talk me into that one all day. Now, I don't think plus 400 is worth my time right now, but right. you can talk me into that Tennessee roster for a lot of reasons from a divisional standpoint. That to me is a team that could win this division by two games, and I would never bet them a single time in the postseason, not once. Right. I don't want them at all in the postseason, but from a regular season standpoint, I'm I'm in on Tennessee. And oh, by the way, I'm monitoring Shaq Leonard and some of those defensive injuries on Indy, but that was a roster ready to win 18 months ago. And they didn't have a quarterback and they thought Matt Ryan could, could squeeze out a little bit more juice for them and get this thing to the finish line. And obviously that wasn't the case. Well, if Anthony Richardson is even slightly above average in competency in his first year, that should be enough, maybe not to win the whole division, but to compete. So there's a reason that, you know, Tennessee's plus 400, Indy's plus 500, and, and Houston's kind of a distant fourth right now. It only takes one little thing, right? like one little thing to go the right way and maybe a slight regression on that Jags roster that, look, I'll be frank, I, I'm, I'm burying the lead here. The Jags got better this offseason. They didn't get worse. They got better. You know, we can start with Calvin Ridley. There's other additions to the defense. They they made all the right bubble releases that I wanted them to make from a business standpoint. So to me, they're operating as 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 well and as healthy as they can right now from a, a contention standpoint. Um, and I do believe the minus one fifty holds up for them. I just think, you know, it does it's not gonna take much for Tennessee and Indy to be in this conversation, as you've already said out loud. Yes. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And I think from the Tennessee side of things, like um, on that note that it's basically the same roster as it was last year, uh, the Will Levis pick is, is interesting there because at least this year they're not falling back on Malik Willis. If the mm -hmm. Tannehill thing doesn't work out, maybe if maybe it doesn't work out and Will Levis sucks also, we, we have no idea, but at least it's a, it's a more promising shot to me. Um, like from that standpoint and the Colts thing, I, I couldn't agree more. Like what if Anthony Richardson is considerably better than the, any quarterback they've had, um, you know, in Indy in the last several years. So it, that yeah. I, this so far, this is pretty easily my favorite division for quote unquote value. In my opinion, I think there's some, some Jew, uh, you know, some, <clears throat> something to be desired in both the Titans and the Colts. <clears throat> if, DeAndre Hopkins signs with the Titans. What does that plus 400 become? Um, it, it probably, I, I don't know. Does it move that much? No, probably not. Right. Yeah. So th there's no reason to jump on it, you know, or, or, or foresee that coming and then and try to see if you can get value in it. I, I don't think it's going to move the needle too much. I'd like them a lot more if they had a weapon like that, because I think for they're sure. lacking that right now. Um, and by the way, I think Tennessee's in the top five right now for in terms of landing spots for DeAndre Hopkins. So in terms of roster construction down the stretch here, I would not rule that out by any, by any regards. And Ryan Tannehill is playing for his career. <laughs> that's, you know, from a fantasy perspective, from a gambling perspective, that's always something you're thinking about. Now, Trevor Lawrence is playing for his next contract. He becomes extension eligible after this season. 
that's not something to slouch about. So there is a contractual connection to some of these, you know, some of these monikers and some of how this is going to shake down. Um, and we really haven't dealt with that just yet, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield may be playing for his career, his starting quarterback career, but I just don't think there's enough juice in that tank left. So um, this division right now is ripe with prove it teams. Prove it all across. CJ Stroud's got to prove he's competent. Anthony Richardson's got to prove he's competent. Ryan Tannehill is trying to prove he can still play quarterback in this league. And Trevor Lawrence just wants to prove that he's worth $55 million a year because that's where we're headed next March with his contract. So uh, this is a saucy division, even though the football might not be the best to watch on TV. Uh, NFC North, Dan, I know you have some thoughts. I'm going to open the mic to you on this one. Tell me what's going to happen up north with the uh, Packers and Lions and, and Vikings and maybe Bears this year. I mean, I certainly don't know, but um, again, talking mm-hmm. about the pendulum, this see, this is just uh, all mixed up from last year. And I know there's been some big changes within that division, but all of a sudden the Packers go from the division favorite to um, the the worst team in the division. Uh, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of excitement around te- certain teams in the division, um, like the Lions, like the Bears, that I'm not sure is like super warranted. Like, so the, the Lions, mm-hmm. I mean, I like them as well. I had a lot of fun rooting for them last year. Um, we we outlined them as one of the long shots that we thought could make a make some noise in that division. Um, not a whole lot has changed other than a couple of draft picks that got kind of some criticism, you know, from the process side of things there. <clears throat> so I don't know. I just, you mean, you I, mean I just, besides giving up on the running game that was absolutely successful for them and completely revamping it with David Montgomery and Gibbs, the rookie. Right. And <laughs> yeah, spending a, like a, a top, you know, a top, 25 pick on a mm-hmm. linebacker, I, just a number of things, but I, I'm, you've spoken on it. I don't need to get into it. Um, nonetheless, I just don't see them as a clear, a clear favorite in this division. Um, so if you just want to move beyond them though, next up is the Vikings at two and a half to one odds. I mean, what about this roster has gotten more exciting in the, in the last 12 months? I, I mean, it's, they're still subtracting. Delvin Cook's yeah. about to be released. <laughs> Exactly. So the offense is still appealing in a number of ways to me, but this is, I, I feel like the Vikings are going to be the, the lions of last year where they're just literally uh, having it's sorry. Mm-hmm. It's a track meet every game because the defense can't hold up and they have the offensive pieces, um, you know, to be successful. Yeah. So I, I feel the Vikings are, not really warrant, you know, not worthy of being the second, uh, you know, favorite team in that division either. Now the bears have made a lot of moves as well, but do, do does any of it fit together or work? We have no idea yet. Yeah, so it's going to take, a um, exactly. So that, that leaves us with the Packers who I am not here to, um, say, I, I convincingly think Jordan love is a division winning quarterback at this stage, but the defense is still excellent and there's still a number of offensive pieces there. Um, if Jordan love, you know, his like, you know, his marinating for the last couple of years behind Aaron Rodgers has, has bolstered his career at all to this point, we're going to, yeah. we're about to see it maybe. Right. So there, there's, just, I think all this is a long meandering way to say that 
I feel like every team in this division has major question marks and none of them really, I have no confidence in any of them. Uh, so I am just inclined to kind of look towards the back of the pack here. No pun intended, but the Packers would probably be, um, you know, my favorite bet currently here. <clears throat> let me, let me uh, summarize what you said, I think, because I agree wholeheartedly. The Packers are the most stable roster in this division, right? They're the most consistent roster. If Rashawn Gary is healthy last year, if he doesn't have the massive knee injury, they're going to the playoffs in spite or despite Aaron Rodgers' quarterback play down the stretch, which was average, completely average. Jordan Love doesn't have to be a division-winning quarterback. He just has to run the offense properly and be efficient because the running game is intact. They, I mean, Aaron Jones took a $5 million pay cut to stick around this year. Nobody remembers that. Okay. That happened. Aaron Jones took a pay cut to stick around this year. This roster is unbelievably consistent. It has transferred over purposefully. And Jordan Love has accepted his pay cut to, to stick around and showcase his talents for a year. Everything about this team, from the way the roster looks to how the contracts have been handled, screams, we know what the hell we're doing here. And I know that everything we're reading about the Packers is exactly the opposite because you're reading about the rift between Rodgers and the coaching staff and the front office and all this wonderful reality show drama that they love to spoil in June and July for the NFL. But the reality is that this roster is damn good and above average pretty much across the board. They've got an all-pro cornerback paid. They're going to pay Gary once he becomes healthy as an all-pro edge defender. They've got two inside linebackers been playing for eight years. Everything about this team is correct. And by the way, David Bakhtiari is back. That's, that's a move I didn't see coming from a mile away with that contract and the, his injury history. That everybody wants to be around for the Jordan Lavera. Nobody wanted to jump this ship. That, that says something, right? It totally says something. And by the way, I think the guy can coach. You know, I think he has weathered this Aaron Rodgers storm, which is, just seems like an absolute minefield at times. And uh, I, I'm excited for this team. I'm excited for Jordan Love. I don't, I don't think he's an elite quarterback. I just think he's going to be a guy, you know, maybe like a Kirk Cousins guy who just kind of gets things done. And uh, he's got a hell of a roster around him. I, would you bet Would you bet the Lions to win the division or to miss the playoffs more? Mm. Same, same Vikings question. Um, I mean, this is less... Uh, I would say win the division and that that's mostly on the strength of the nfc i just mm-hmm. I, there's not a lot of teams there that i think um you know surprise us to the point where they fall out of even the wild card pack there so um but but i i don't say that confidently mostly because of the jared goff that like that could just come crashing back down to earth at any point like we we saw we've had seen elite seasons from him in yeah in Los Angeles with, with Sean McVay and then them still have the desire to move on um, when it didn't go so well the next year. So um, yeah, that's a good question though. Good question. Where, where, what would you say? Uh, I would bet the Vikings to miss the playoffs and I would stick with the lions to be in contention and win this division. Uh, But I'm putting the Packers in 10 as a, as a long shot, long shot bet for me, even though it's plus 500 right now, uh, they're in pen for me. So I've, we've got the Rams in pencil. We've got the Packers in pen in terms of what I think we should be doing here right now with divisional bets. Uh, let's move to the 
AFC North, the tightest betting division in all of football. And it's really not close. Uh, and yet, all four are plus odds. The Bengals, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Steelers. There's a hell of a lot of movement here, and we're not done. I mean, uh, Hopkins to the Browns, for me, is the favorite landing spot. If I say Tennessee's top five, Cleveland's number one on that list right now. Pittsburgh did a lot of really nice things. A uh, couple of home run shots, like an Allen Robinson trade. And since he pretty much stayed the course, Orlando Brown Jr. joins that line as depth, a depth starting piece, if that can happen with $64 million. And Joe Burrow is about to get $52 million a year, whatever it's going to be, maybe $54 million a year. So we're not done talking about this division from, a, from the outside looking in. I don't, I don't know why anybody would touch this division from a gambling standpoint. Would you agree with that? I could argue for the Browns kind of based on what you're just saying there. I mean, like mm. even before your Hopkins point, they sort of stick out to me. And I say that because like, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm some Deshaun Watson, Watson truther or fan or supporter, but yeah. he, he was a elite, if not borderline elite quarterback in most of his time in Houston. The per, the player we saw last year, at, you know, in that abbreviated mm-hmm. first season in Cleveland, I, I expect that to be to be different this year. I think that offense will not just be run heavy. I think they will mix a lot of different looks in. Um, now, if you add another top receiver like Hopkins across from, um, you know, the players they already have there. Marty Cooper, I, they acquired Elijah Moore. The plan I've heard is to trade Donovan Peoples-Jones in replacement right. of signing DeAndre Hopkins. And so I, I mean, like that, that leaves David yeah. Bell on like as your yeah. fifth or sixth receiver, who was like a third round pick last year. Or and something they drafted like that. Cedric Tillman third round this year. So they have a ton of high top 100 draft talent. They have a paid offensive line. They have two tight ends. Don't forget that, right? They've got a two tight end set. One of them being David and Joku, who can catch 60 balls for you. We've seen that happen before. They yeah, he still could be have the breakout. Nick That's right. He could and they still have Nick be the breakout tight end this year. Yep. So this yeah. offense, if it's all together now, if they're all on the same page, it could absolutely tick. No question about it. Yeah. So that, that I just wanted to sneak that in there. Otherwise, I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the fact that the Browns and the Steelers are even as close mm-hmm. as they are right now, I, like, I mean, do you have any confidence in the Steelers? I know you said they made some nice moves. I agree yeah. with that, but I, I don't. I just I don't see it. But I I the fact that two of these teams have to yeah. miss the postseason most likely is crazy. Yeah, it really is crazy. Uh, it's just one of those divisions you want everybody to be you know playing as much as possible. They've all got storylines behind them, uh, like Tomlin's winning record, all that stuff, right? Kenny Pickett does he take the next step? They paid. They gave Trubisky a, a two-year extension with basically his full salary guaranteed for this year, eight million as a backup role. So I don't know. Is there confidence in Pickett with that kind of you know maneuver? I'm not sure. Um, and then Lamar's FU year. That's totally what this is. It's the biggest right. FU year possible, and maybe Odell Beckham's FU year too, right? After his you know back and forth and up and down. So there's a hell of a lot to like in this division. It's going to be musty TV really pretty, pretty much every single week. Um, but for now it's, there's not a ton of value in betting this division. No, just to round out that point though, like, cause I don't think I made it clear. I'm saying I, I kind of like the Browns cur- at the current number, but if you are interested, you should probably bet it before yeah, the potential it. Hopkins thing to, you know, fall, cause that number is going to move closer towards uh, the Ravens, I would assume. So mm-hmm. yeah, jump it. NFC East, always the, uh, a battle out of a division. 
Washington is a plus 1100. That's second worst. I don't know. Are they really running out Sam Howell? Is that what's happening? <laughs> I have no they idea. Are, right? I think they really I are. I mean, it sure seems like it, but yeah. I mean, Ron Rivera knows he's he's coaching for his job, right? And that's uh, that's the plan. But we'll see. I, I, look, they they made a meal out of Taylor Heineke. He's he's a guy now. You know, they've done this before. So I'm not going to say it's crazy, uh, but kind of seems like they're in Caleb Williams' conversation, even though their defense is costing them like $150 million cash this year. But I don't know. Well, that's the that's the part I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like they're they're going to run this offense out there with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas again, and they brought in a couple of decent running backs. Their offensive line has at least a decent amount of cash tied to it, but they have one of the highest paid defenses in football. Not secondaries, but defensive line and edge defenders in all of football. And there's some real guys there. So if they're looking to lose. Um, I would expect them to trade a couple of players, but I don't know that that's going to be the case. So they're a, they're a lost in limbo team for me. They're not bettable, at least to this standpoint. Are the Giants at plus 800 the best value on, on the entire board right now, Dan? You could certainly make a case for it. I, yeah. I like it quite a bit. I mean, the main point against them is how much I love the Eagles and just that roster, top to bottom, everything about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the roster in terms of quote value, I think the Giants probably are currently the best on board. How much does Barkley move the needle for you? Um, because I guess there's a world where he's he's sitting out seven weeks, you know, on this tag. Um, in terms of how I would bet it, or whether the line yeah, moves, your confidence in this team, decision. your confidence, right? I mean, the, the backup running back is Matt Breida right now, just for yeah, yeah. yeah. Yikes. I guess I have just been assuming it gets done. That's a good point that I haven't really taken into consideration up until now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I just think there's a little too much meat on the bone there that this number should be closer to like five, five and a half to one, maybe, but I'm, I'm going to be honest maybe with that's you, Dan, just, I'm going to bet it as soon as we're done here, just cause it's plus 800. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's like, I, that's our confidence in yeah, Joe Shane, staff. Brian yeah. Table, all of that, them bringing in their types of players, their first, you know, full draft, offseason, et cetera. So I, I think they're obviously making strides in the right direction. I definitely think they closed the gap between them and the Cowboys this year. Like those two numbers are, um, you know, kind of out of whack to me um but yeah the job i'm not gonna i, I don't really one one more point on this one more point a they they bolstered the offensive line again with this draft uh which you know i love uh be boring first you know all those wide receivers that kind of overachieved last year right darius slayton was injured but kind of did his thing sterling shepherd can't stop being injured but he's still a guy wando robinson isaiah hodgins uh four out of those five players that i just mentioned dan weren't under contract for 2023. They had to choose to come back to this team. All of them did. None of them got big contracts. Most of them got minimum contracts. All of them wanted to be back on this roster, in this offense, with Daniel Jones, with Brian Dable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to me, that speaks volumes about where this thing is going. I don't know if this is the year. It's There may be a year away from being a year away, but uh, there's confidence. There's, there's a hell of a lot of confidence around this team. So at plus 800, you can have my money right now before that thing becomes plus 350 in about a month and a half, right? When things start to look really damn good for Daniel Jones. But look at where 
we're burying the lead here. The Eagles, you said it, the Eagles are outstanding. They're an outstanding roster from top to bottom. Uh, they're going to have difficulty cutting down from 90 to 55. You know what I mean? They're going to love some of their UDFAs might be tradable. That's how freaking nice this roster is right now. So we'll uh, we'll have to monitor that too because there's no question that's the NFC team right now. Uh, the AFC East. The Bills are a plus 115. I don't think either of us love the Bills roster, at least not in comparison to the last two seasons. Uh, you know, like, very much like, but not love, love. Are we ignoring the Patriots at plus 800? I am, yes. I'm okay. not even going to We're done with that yeah. conversation. Then. <laughs> yeah. um, Miami's at plus 300. The Jets are basically plus, you know, plus 280, plus 300. Are those two teams that close? Are all three of those teams toss-ups for you? Or do you actually think there's, there's a, a standout team in this division? So maybe it's Homer of me, but speaking of kind of pendulum uh, mentality, like everybody's down on the bills after everybody was in love with the bills last year. So I I agree. We don't love their roster top to bottom. They did make a couple. um, I I shouldn't say a couple, a number of um, small moves that could pay big dividends kind of thing, just because they didn't have like an impact Von Miller signing like they did last year, so to speak. Um, I kind of like what they did um, considering, you know, all this talk going into the Damian Harris, they Alton Kincaid. Yeah, it's all there, right. But, but going in, it was kind of like, where the hell are they going to get find room to maneuver this offseason? It was just like they, they have no they have no cap room to add, etc. Um, I think they did a really great job of doing that. And I to, to your point, no, I don't. I think the Bills are considerably better still than the Jets and the Dolphins. Um, maybe that's a little too much recency bias, specifically with the Jets side of things and Aaron Rodgers' performance last year. That roster mm. is still very good. I will acknowledge that. Um, I just we've talked about it before. I think you're on this boat. Like, is Aaron Rodgers like yeah. the impact player that's going to ascend them past the Bills? I don't know. I, I mean, it, it could be. I just think the Jets and the Dolphins are a clear tier below the Bills, and these numbers are a little bit closer than I would have thought. Um, the Dolphins, again, I also like that coaching staff and that roster. I just don't know if Tua, the, the health side of Tua is going to hold up long-term, right? And then beyond that, it, it's a Mike point White, flip. baby. So, Mike White, Dan. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I overlooked that. Um, I don't know. I guess what do you – maybe I'm just like a little too, uh, you know, localized here to, to get away from that. What do you think, though? It, it, I mean, if we're analyzing quickly here on this division, I believe the Dolphins and the Jets are built to run the ball. And I don't think the Dolphins are done building their running game. I think that's a – absolute number one slam dunk spot for Devlin Cook once he's released out of Minnesota. I mean, almost with, has to be, right? Yeah. I mean, well, to go with Jeff Wilson and Ryan Mostert and two rookies they drafted this year in the third round. Right. I mean, they're they're loaded. We have saw the Bills get gashed by the by run games all year last year. Cincinnati, the Jet, Brees Hall did it. He's going to be back in the fold under, you know, behind Aaron Rodgers. Uh, time after time after time, we saw running backs absolutely thrash the Buffalo Bills, and I'm not positive that the Bills fixed that. They got a little deeper. They brought back Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver on $45 million guaranteed. So obviously they think that they can scheme fix this problem and not so much you know roster fix this problem. But to me, that's what those two teams are trying to do. Yeah, Tyree Kill is going to be able to go over the top on you know a lot of players in this league still. But I think this is about running the ball down the middle of teams' throats and then not having to rely on Tua so much. 
and not having to rely on Aaron Rodgers so much. And both those teams are going to be very successful doing that. But this is a beat yourself up division. I mean, is anybody going to win 12 games? Probably not, right? Well, right. And the Bills are probably, they probably came closer, you know, yeah. back to the pack with the moves they made with Damian Harris, Latavius Murray towards a running team too, right? We've heard them publicly say they want to kind of scale yeah. back Josh Allen's, um, you know, ground game, so to speak. So yeah, they're probably going to be a little bit less run and gun. You know, the, the, um, Dalton Kincaid edition, they're probably going to run more 12 personnel kind of thing. So yeah, I, I agree with that. This should probably a little be a more of a grinded out division this year than we've seen in pa- in the past. Um, there wasn't a single division in all of football last year that had three teams with 10 plus wins. It's just not feasible in a 17 week season. You know what I mean? With all the divisional games you have to play one and one NFC division had two 10 win teams and two of the four AFC divisions had, had two 10-win teams. This is going to be one of those divisions, right? Two of these teams are going to win 10 games. We just don't know who it's going to be. You know what I mean? And of the two, you know, is it going to be like the Bengals and Ravens last year where it was 12, 12 wins and 10 wins? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if you think that the Dolphins are going to do this thing and plus 300 is enough for you, do it. But I don't think at any point in time, uh, division bet in this in this race is, is worth your time. So uh, I'm staying away for sure. Yeah, if we hit them all. Agreed. I think we've hit them all. That's it. Okay, so we are penned in on the Packers. We are penned in on the Giants just because of the number, not so much that we think it's going to happen. And we're going to do pencil bets on the Rams at plus 750. Is there another long shot that you want to you want to do the Colts at plus 500? Is that enough for you? Or the Titans at plus 400? I mean, between the two, I think the Colts have a little bit higher ceiling. Um, Jonathan Taylor so I, come be a pendulum swing year for him. Well, and, and the Anthony Richardson thing, like I know yeah. he's a super raw prospect, but there's a chance that he just like really takes the league by storm kind of t- uh, elite talent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I could just see a path. Um where they have a higher ceiling than the Titans, in my opinion. So yeah, at, at longer odds, I, I would lean that way. I like it. Stay away from the NFC South. <laughs> Stay away from the AFC East. Most, most of the NFC in general. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the Eagles race to lose right now. Holy cow. That's how Vegas sees it. There's no question about it. Um, the team you are most confident will make the postseason that didn't make it last year before we get out of here. Just off the top of your head. Hmm. I'll give you a couple of contenders. Green Bay did not make it. Detroit did not make it. Uh, The Jets did not make it. The Steelers, the Titans, the Browns did not make it last year. Um... The Falcons I'll did not make it. back on the Browns. I like the. I think the Browns have um, some upside, so I'll, I'll go that direction. Okay. The team who will have the most regular season wins. We're going to do an over under, you know, bet as we get much closer to training camp and all that. But as it stands right now, the best regular season team in football. <clears throat> I mean, the Eagles is probably the chalk pick, so I'll kind mm-hmm. of reach a little bit further and say uh, it's probably going to be the Chiefs, but um, <laughs> it was Eagles Chiefs last year tied. I will. Oh, man. 
I want to say the Bills, but I know you'll say it. Homer, uh, the Browns. <laughs> wow. Best regular season, the Browns. That would be a phenomenal turnaround. That'd be a seven to eight win team a turnaround, which I think. I mean, I just don't. I just don't know who else I want to look at here. I mean, <clears throat> I'm trying to make points against the Niners. Like, I, there's just very. I guess this goes to your earlier point on parity. There are just very few teams that I feel very clearly stand above anyone else here. I mean, like I, you can really, really poke holes in any of these rosters, um, except the Eagles. I feel right. I mean, who? who I, who, I guess, who are you looking at? Or are there any teams you're looking at that you think are like clear favorites for that number two spot? Let's put it that way. Cause I'm just, I'm just looking down the list and I, I like the Browns. No. I think there's a chance that they exceed expectations, you know? You know, it's, it's not the worst situation to get yourself into financially from a betting standpoint. Because really the conversation has to be that was a seven win team last year. And there's a lot of people that look at that and just write it off. But Watson missed 11 weeks. So. And was awful when he came. I mean, of course, rightfully so. And unprepared probably. So like a full off season, just a different. Yeah. That I guess where I'm coming from in all of this, I I don't want to sit here and be Deshaun Watson. But but is he worth half of those wins? Do they win? Half half of those games they lost if he's active for the whole year, because that makes them an eleven win team. It's within the realm of possibilities. I, I mean, we just we literally just said what a grinded out division that's going to be. But um, yeah, he is elite. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I guess go back to that though. Did you ask me that with the intention, like with with the mindset that you had somebody? Like, who would you pick as that number two spot? Do you have somebody? Like, is it the Chiefs? Is am I just overthinking this? Should I just say the Chiefs and and make it easy? You know? No, I. I, I is the Eagles think, Chiefs are the favorites? Uh, I, of course, but I don't. I don't think I would bet that way. Uh, no, I think I think what I said about the Chiefs is fair. I, I do think that they're gonna. They're going to pump the brakes a little bit with with their roster and their lineup, and to some degree, Mahomes his the game plan, the scheme, uh, because they know they've done this too many times to try to win seventeen, you know, to go, try to go seventeen or no. I, I don't see that as their mindset right now, even though that's what they're going to say out loud in front of every, every microphone. Right. Um, and the Forty ers could still do this, despite all the quarterback conversation we've had. I, I don't know why you would bet against that roster. That got better with Javon Hargrave, and you know, oh, yeah, they lost their right tackle, but they've drafted well. I, I don't know. I, they're in the conversation. There's no question they're back in the conversation to be at the top of the NFC. So, um, if I had to pick a surprise team, Dan, I picked the Dolphins. Hmm. I picked the Dolphins. I think if two is healthy, we saw it in person and at at in Buffalo. If he's healthy, and they can figure out a way to game plan him to stay healthy. And they pick up a player like Delvin Cook late and they get a full year of Bradley Chubb and Xavier Howard and that secondary does what they what they have to do. Uh, they are freaking loaded. And I think they're super well coached. I think he I think uh, their coaching staff maybe got a little bit over their skis last year down the stretch. And that probably won't happen again. You know, they'll be better prepared for it. And of course, they were spinning their wheels because of the Tua situation. And it's understandable. Uh, I, I think if Tua is healthy, they might be the best regular season team in the AFC. Maybe the interesting. Least. I like yeah. it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And sitting here in Buffalo saying that makes me feel dirty. So I'm going to go take a shower. 
Okay. Good stuff, man. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>